and good morning. It's Friday, the 1st of June, 2018, and I cannot believe it is already June. Welcome back to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the first and only regularly updated podcast in the world dedicated entirely to autonomous cars. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So today, episode 35, yes, we're pushing part two of episode 34 back to next week. Here's why. Two days ago, I had the extraordinary turn of luck to be invited to, and indeed attended, a presentation at the Netherlands Consulate General in San Francisco. It was a book presentation by noted and highly respected Professor Daniel Sperling of the University of California at Davis. The presentation was titled, The Three Transportation Revolutions, A Call to Action. So for those of you who may not know Professor Sperling, he is the Distinguished Blue Planet Professor and Founding Director uh, of the Institute of Transportation Studies at the University of California at Davis, and he's a sitting board member of the California Air Resources Board. So for those of you who may not know, the Blue Planet Award is essentially the Nobel Prize for environmental sciences. So this is about as well-respected and recognized as you can be in the field. Uh, Suffice to say, then, Professor Sperling is a pretty big deal. The presentation was surrounding the launch of his new book, appropriately titled Three Revolutions. And this book really reflects his ongoing mission, which is to solve the undeniably catastrophic state of transportation, not just in the U.S., but indeed in the world. So the Netherlands Consulate General Office was selected due to Professor Sperling's colleague and friend, Peter van de Venter, uh, from Netherlands, where he is the liaison officer and program director at Coast to Coast e-Mobility. It's a, an organization which collaborates uh, between Holland and the West Coast of the United States for purposes of rolling out new and better transportation solutions. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right, but in the interest of time, because as always, I do like to keep these episodes down to 15 minutes or so, let's dive in. Lots to cover. Truly fantastic presentation. Here we go. So the fundamental problem presented by Professor Sperling and the purpose of his book and indeed his ongoing research is that there is no sustainable transport system in the world. There just isn't. If you look at all the major cities of the world, traffic is gridlocked. If you look at suburban areas, Navigating by car is the only way to get around. Neither option is sustainable. It's only going to get worse, and there needs to be a solution now. Not one or 200 years from now, but now. So the 
overarching theory of this presentation, and indeed the book as a whole, is that while it's all good and well to have research focused on, well, autonomous cars, on electric cars, there needs to be more. And the more is that they need to be sort of developed in conjunction and in, they need to be rolled out um, overlapping one another. And with a third element known as pooling, what we might just think of as carpooling or ride sharing. So if you think of each of these three components, autonomous cars, electric cars, and carpooling, think of them each as three circles. We're going to make a little Venn diagram here. Now, sort of slightly overlap each of these three. The optimal point is the intersection of all three of those different components. So to kind of step back for a second, let's just look at some facts and figures. So with respect to sustainability generally, meaning just dollars and time and energy, right? So turns out that on average, uh, people spend eight to $9,000 per car per year. There's $100 billion spent on road infrastructure and $100 trillion spent owning and operating vehicles. 30 to 40% of greenhouse gases come from vehicles. The point is, this just doesn't work. This is just, it just simply isn't sustainable, full stop. So, the title of the book reflects each of these three uh, components, hence the three revolutions of electrification, automation, and sharing, or pooling, as Professor Sperling calls it. With respect to electrification, the first problem is that, well, Less than 50% of new car buyers are even aware of electric vehicles. This isn't really increasing. It's kind of tapered off. Now, one could look at it optimistically and say that, hey, in California at least, uh, 5% of new car sales are electric. That sounds pretty good. As Professor Sperling said, maybe, but we can do a lot better. Meanwhile, in China, they have over 100,000 electric buses. Um, to plot this out over time, currently uh, the idea is to go to 1.5 million electric buses by 2030. Partial electric vehicles should hit, at a growth rate of 24% year over year, should hit 13 million by 2030. Net-net, China should be seeing 25% uh, penetration of partial electric vehicles by 2030. This is astonishing growth rate. So we know that it can be done. It's being done in China. Now it needs to be done here back home in the States. So that's electrification. Next up, we have, um, we're going to skip over to the carpooling uh, component of all this. We look at Uber, we look at Lyft. Turns out that ride sharing generally has been and will continue to hugely overtake all other forms of transit, including and especially bus, rail, and taxi. It turns out that fewer than 1% of the U.S. population gets around with public transit. Those of you living in major cities, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, you may find this hard to believe, but yes, it's true. So you'll understand why this data, why this particular data point is really important. Uh, in just a moment, because now we're going to switch over and talk to, talk about uh, the autonomous car revolution. Uh, Professor Sperling makes this really intriguing point that there's really going to be two scenarios. One is going to be hell, and one is going to be heaven. So the hell scenario suggests that... Well, let me take a step back for a second. 
if you sort of try to be optimistic about it, your presumption about the future, or hopefully a, you know, a nearer future rather than a far future, is that autonomous vehicles will start to roll out at a faster and faster rate until we all have electric, uh, autonomous vehicles, which, yes, also happen to be mostly electric, and you think all will be well in the world. Uh, except that it won't be, because, yes, it's true, autonomous vehicles will absolutely reduce the, uh, the rate of accidents and, of course, vehicle injury and death. This is guaranteed. This is all but certain. Um, the problem is, is that, well, because they're autonomous, then they're also going to be used for what's sort of said to be the holy grail of vehicle ownership, which is zero cost of ownership and indeed potentially a negative cost of ownership. That is, you'll be able to make money from your vehicles. You know, they'll be able to sort of drive around while you're at work or sleeping, picking up passengers, doing your uh, doing your sort of, you know, picking up items at the store and so on and so forth. What this means then, if you think about it, is that, well, there's actually going to be more vehicles on the road. Remember, right now, vehicles tend to sit parked, unused for something like 95, 97% of the time. Well, now suddenly, if more and more people have autonomous vehicles, okay, sure, they'll be able to sort of platoon together, that is, sort of drive very, very closely together at high speeds, and so you will indeed be able to get more vehicles on the same stretch of road. That's true. The problem is, first of all, to the extent that they're not all electric, well, this will be cataclysmically bad because now you're going to get more emissions. To the point that they are electric, okay, well, that's less bad, but still you're not going to really solve the, uh, the vehicle on the road problem, right? So if this sounds a vaguely familiar argument. Yeah, it's kind of like the whole sort of adding more lanes to a freeway doesn't solve anything. It just kind of delays it to the future. So uh, so that's the, that's, that's the hell scenario. We don't actually just want more of these things on the road. That alone is not going to cut it. So the heaven scenario is that indeed we do move away from a society of uh, you know, we move away from this car culture society we, where we all have just sort of one car for ourselves, several cars per family, and we really embrace this car sharing um, mentality, right? The point is that we need to move away from, well, BMW will hate this, being, you know, self-dubbed the ultimate driving machine. All car lovers around the world, myself included, will hate this potentially. Um, but we need to move away from being sort of driver-centric and being more passenger-centric. We need to be okay with the idea of being pooled from A to B. And when you combine this third and crucial component with the electric component and the autonomous component, and you take their overlap, and remember, draw this on a piece of paper, you got these three circles, a Venn diagram, overlap them all just so, and that central overlapping space, that's where we need to be, that's where we're headed. So... The goal ultimately is to reduce the, the, the vehicle density while increasing the passenger density. This is critically, crucially important. And unless and until we can do this, well, the whole point is, Professor Sperling's whole point is that neither one or two of the components, neither electric alone and or autonomy alone and or uh, pooling alone will be sufficient they're necessary on their own, and indeed, two or more are certainly necessary, but all three of them are required to be sufficient to solving this catastrophic transport problem. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. 
and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Now, if you're sitting there thinking that this presents some pretty interesting challenges, well, yeah, that's the point. And you're not alone. Because there are some real challenges. So, in no particular order, um, let's start with the notion of really what the product is going to look like. What are these vehicles going to look like? You know, what are car manufacturers going to do? So one of the discussion points was that, well, there's going to be much less of a focus, much less of a drive to sort of, um, well, actually, let me, let me say what Professor Sperling said most succinctly, which was, in this world, nobody's going to care about a vehicle that can do zero to 60, that's about zero to 100 kilometers per hour, in less than two seconds. Look, I'm as much an Elon Musk fan as the next guy, um, you know, and not going to lie, I giggle like a schoolgirl when I punch it in a Tesla and it actually hurts my face. It redistributes the fat all over your face. I'm a huge fan, but let's face it, he's right. Not such a good thing if you're a passenger in a car, you're not going to want to do that. I can say, as a matter of fact, I even managed to accidentally give my dad a severe case of whiplash. We once test drive, test drove uh, a Tesla, let's see, Model S P100D with ludicrous mode. He wasn't ready for it. He was practically bed bound for a week. So severely had I given him whiplash. So <laughs> it's fun to joke about it, but it's actually a real thing. And it's potentially, well, at best, it's um, just nauseating if you're as you know, a passive passenger, and it's at worst, um, well, it's dangerous. Um, remember, these things accelerate at a, with a force greater than that of gravity, something like 1.1 G of acceleration. So first things first, uh, <clears throat> cars will be less performance biased. They will be less sort of raw numbers and facts and figures. The focus here is going to be on sheer comfort, on smooth, relaxing comfort. You know, when I was first learning to drive, my dad used to say to me, the best compliment that a driver can receive is when their passengers fall asleep. This means that you're driving smoothly and you're driving well. Alternatively, he always used to say, if you can keep a cup of water from splashing, then you're driving smoothly. And this is going to be the way that cars will be designed. So less brute forced facts and figures, more sort of leisurely driving along, as it were. Um, this may seem obvious, but it needs to be said, really, because this leads to the next point, that this really kind of uh, kind of just sort of stands in the face of everything other automakers are all about, right? Again, BMW, never mind Porsche and Lamborghini and Ferrari, but you know, certainly Mercedes, including and especially their more hopped-up versions like AMG, uh, for Mercedes or the M division for BMW, Audi's S line of cars and so on. This is a direct contradiction to everything those brands stand for. You know, so what's going to happen? Well, the focus is going to be ultimately on really the interior design of the car. It's going to be less about how it looks, less about how it drives, more about sort of, is it comfortable to be in the car? Now, I think a really good analogy to this and Professor Sperling made this really great point. Um, 
you know, you may have seen these fanciful uh, renderings, these images of, of what fully autonomous cars might look like. They're essentially kind of, there's maybe a huge door which opens, uh, exposing the entire volume of the car. You've got these sort of four beautiful loungy looking seats that kind of rotate, they swivel, you can face each other. There may be a place for such a thing, but in general, no. Remember, the last thing you want, as Professor Sperling said, is to be facing your fellow carpool mates. This is not the way it's going to work. Rather, it's going to be more in line with what you see in, say, business or first class on an airplane. Namely, really sort of very comfortable, very sort of, you know, isolated from the world, but crucially, most importantly, and arguably maybe a bit sadly, isolated from your fellow passengers. So where is all this headed? What does this all mean? Well, what it means is it's, it's actually kind of a subtle thing, uh, which really warrants a thorough, fleshed-out explanation. Um, it's pretty clear the track, the vector along which autonomous cars are being developed. You know, it's just that's just the way it is, and there's no sort of pushback on that. Maybe some people like it, some people don't like it as far as consumers go, but eventually everyone will be on board. Same thing with electric cars. They're going to be continued to be kind of produced and rolled out at a faster and faster rate, and all will be well. It's the third and final component, though, which is most challenging, because whereas the first two are arguably less a lifestyle change and more of a sort of technological adoption issue... It's the third, the carpooling, the ride-sharing, as it were, the move away from being a, um, you know, of being private car owners. That's a really fundamental, that's an entire sort of phase shift in really humanity, in people. Now, again, those of you living in sort of really dense urban cores of cities, this may not be that foreign of a concept to you. You know, you've probably gotten rid of your cars, if only by necessity, um, but remember, you're actually in the minority. The vast majority of people in the world all do have their own vehicles. And the notion of getting people to part with their vehicles is just totally, totally foreign. So what can be done to sort of, uh, shall we say, motivate this shift in society's views of car ownership? Well, as Professor Sperling joked rather tongue-in-cheek, um, we need to implement a tax, which is, of course, not a tax because the T-word is a bad, terrible thing indeed. Now, really what it is is there needs to be some sort of an incentive, right? Uh, there, needs to be, there needs to be a way to encourage people to, 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 to really embrace carpooling, uh, ride-sharing generally. Now, obviously, as a practical matter, yes, this will probably need to be done in the form of some kind of monetary incentive, some sort of compensation. Um, you know, I, I don't know what this would look like. It would be some form of a reduction in some form of a tax or, or, or cost somewhere along the, the line. It may be some sort of um, an actual monetary incentive. It could be something involving insurance. And obviously the notion of insurance kind of just disappears anyway, or at least changes radically once we're talking about fully autonomous cars. So maybe that's not the right way to think about this either. But for better or worse... It does appear to be the case that in order to really fast-track the adoption of this very real phase shift of human perception of car ownership to ride-sharing, it really does seem that there's going to be a need for some kind of a monetary incentive. 
uh, at least in the in the short term, to get kind of people on board with it. I mean, and I think we can look at the dense cities, New York, London, Paris, Tokyo, San Francisco. We can look at these cities for inspiration that, well, it turns out that when people finally do get rid of their cars, it turns out that they actually end up really liking it. Or at the very least, they end up no longer disliking it. Uh, I can say from personal experience, um, a good, uh, really dear friend of mine from UCLA days, uh, he ended up moving out to, let's see, to London for, and by the way, remember, this was UCLA, so this is in Los Angeles, obviously huge car culture. He himself, indeed his whole family, his dad especially, just, you know, true and thorough car guys, um, you know, he moved to, uh, to London for grad school, didn't have a car, went straight from London to New York, didn't have a car. I think last I heard, he hasn't even driven a car in, I don't know how many years it's been. His point being simply that once he got rid of it, little by little, he realized, wow, what an astonishing sense of freedom not to have a car. Now, obviously, this is the case only in dense cities. Of course, if you're in the suburbs, at least in America, sadly, a car is still a very necessary thing indeed. But this then goes back to the need, the whole thrust of Professor Sperling's uh, thesis here about this need for this, this, um, this uh, trifecta of, of components, the autonomy and the electric and the, the carpooling, that these three all need to come together in order to effectuate a workable, viable solution to this catastrophic transportation problem facing the world. All right, so that should wrap things up for now. Um, I will leave you with the very obvious plug for Professor Sperling on his behalf to go to Amazon and find his book. It's called The Three Revolutions, Steering Automated, Shared, and Electric Vehicles to a Better Future. It's a small paperback book. It's a quick read. I've already started it. Uh, It is a fantastic read and a very easy read at that. And when I say easy, I mean it's a very quick read. Um, So do go pick it up if only to... Really educate yourself about what's what. And I would encourage those of you frowning at this, at this premise that, that, that we need to embrace above and beyond all else, carpooling, I would actually encourage you especially to pick up this book. I mean, I'm not afraid to admit, I've never used uh, Uber Pool. I frankly don't want to be in a small little car uh, with a bunch of strangers. I mean, I admittedly don't even really like taking buses. I can probably count on one hand the number of my li- the number of times in my life that I've taken a bus. Um, so I'm willing to accept wholeheartedly, very transparently, I get it. A lot of people don't like this idea and therefore will resist accepting the premise is true. But this is why it's so important to get the book, to read it, and to educate yourself, at least make yourself more informed so you can then arrive at a logical conclusion for yourself. For me, Um, you know, I can imagine ways in which I might be persuaded to really accept carpooling. Um, you know, this is a whole nother discussion, but in any event, uh, do read the book. It's surely going to open your eyes to what's possible. Those of you who are already aware of this, well, read the book anyway, because it's just fascinating. All right. So we're going to call that a wrap for today. Um, hopefully that was not too fast of a, uh, sort of a summary of Professor Sperling's talk. Uh, really, it was just a fantastic, fantastic uh, mini lecture. Uh, learned a ton of amazing things. Obviously, this goes without saying, my hope is to get Professor Sperling on this show at some point. I think it'd be fantastic to have him talk with all of us, um, share his thoughts in his own voice. Um, and 
you know, um, that said, speaking of talking, please don't forget, the whole point of this show is to make it a two-way dialogue. While my preference is, of course, for you to subscribe to this podcast on Apple's iTunes, uh, if you listen to the podcast on anchor.fm, where I published and where these podcasts are hosted, you can leave me a voicemail message, which I promise to reply to and get back to you on, uh, you know, and, and, and this way we can actually have a two-way dialogue on this, right? And I think that there's a lot of really interesting points that were raised by Professor Sperling's discussion that warrant a very sort of engaged back-and-forth discussion. Certainly, we had a lot of questions. It was a really fantastic Q&A at the end of the session. And I'm sure that all of you, many of you at least, have many follow-up questions of your own. So please do shoot them my way. Leave me a voicemail. I promise to get back to you. Meanwhile... Uh, what can I say? Thank you so much for listening to this special episode. As promised, I will roll out part two of episode 34 next week, if not Monday, certainly on Tuesday, as I've tended to do lately. Um, please continue to leave your reviews. Um, share with your colleagues and friends, as always. Remember, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Mark Hogue, and of course, on LinkedIn, you can find me and connect with me. Um, but until next time, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend ahead this first weekend of June. Bye-bye.